This is Wildcat Country. It's only right. The ball's in his hands. A milestone victory for Arizona. Simon Says Championship. All the inside scoop on U of A athletics. Another edition of Wildcat Country, powered by Backcourt Marketing. Eric Cohen and Shane Dale on, well, we're, we're recording a little bit later than usual this week because there was a game on Tuesday night that, well, didn't go well for the uh, men's basketball team, which was ranked number three in the country. Really exciting. And then they head down to uh, Pauley Pavilion um, in, in Westwood, and it didn't go so well, Shane. And uh, we're going to talk about that in Buy or Sell in the first segment. And then we have some exciting guests on the show. I'll just preview it right away. Uh, A.J. Bramlett uh, from the national championship team in 1997 going to join us and to tell us about his kind of reflections on uh, his memories from uh, 25 years ago, plus his thoughts on this year's team. And then the the teacher or maybe the instructor, or we got to find like some kind of uh, the professor, Matt Moreno from GoAZCats.com going to join us to tell us about the football team and all the progress they've made since we had him on last. But Shane, I, I guess we'll get right into it. Buy or sell. Powered by or brought to you by Backcourt Marketing. So we'll start with this right off the bat. Number one, the biggest takeaway from Tuesday night, Arizona isn't ready for prime time. Buy or sell? Yeah, Eric, I'll sell that one a hundred times over. And I think we're probably on the same page with this. Look, everything that could have gone wrong went wrong for Arizona at UCLA. Now, Ben Matherin was five of 22 from the field. Kirk Reese had missed all 12 of his shots. UCLA couldn't miss for large spurts in that game. And, and they lost they lost to a top 10 team by 16 points on the road. You know, and that includes uh, Tabellus, Kyer, both not being 100%. Tabellus didn't even start. I, I'm guessing if it was a lesser opponent, maybe he wouldn't have played at all. I've seen an absurd amount of overreaction. We're recording this on Wednesday night. The game is Tuesday night. It's been about 24 hours. I've seen just a ridiculous amount of overreaction uh, on, um, as our friend John Cena, John Cena, I know he's going to do it, John Fina. Okay, we can see John Fina. We can't see the other one. Uh, as our friend John Fina calls it, the tweeter box on Tuesday night, uh, we saw a bunch of overreactions. Uh, you know, the, the, yes, the, they played poorly. They've got some work to do. They've got some, some stuff to figure out. Unlike the football team, just about everything that went wrong for the men's basketball team against UCLA can be corrected. The only long-term negative from this game for me, Eric, is that a one seed seems less likely now because, and I know that's yeah. still a ways off, but Arizona is already running out of chances for quad one wins. And that even if USC happens to make up that game at USC at some point, we'll see. Um, but if they get back to playing Arizona basketball, which our buddy Jeff Dean noted, a lot of the things that they, they really excelled at, they just got away from for whatever reason. It kind of reminded me of, um, Suns Bucks game five mm-hmm. in the NBA finals. Yeah. And the Suns yeah. just sort of forgot what who they are and they played a bunch of hero ball. But they get back to doing what they do, make the extra pass, finish around the rim, they'll be fine. I, I don't know what's going to happen in the rematch. I know we'll talk about that a little bit too. I'll say that Arizona held UCLA to 75 points. If they do that again in Tucson next week with 14,000 very loud fans cheering them on, I think they'll probably win or at least they'll be a lot closer. So, am I concerned long term about this? No. Well, they, if they put up another stinker on Saturday against ASU, I'll start to get concerned. For this one, I think the deck was sort of stacked against them. I'm not saying in terms of like it being unfair. A lot of things were going in the, in the opposite direction for them. And I think a game like this was bound to happen. And I'm glad they got it out of the way now instead of in March. 
Yeah, and we'll talk to Matt about this and AJ about this uh, as far as their thoughts uh, as to what happened on Tuesday night. I, obviously, I'm going to sell this as well. I think Arizona is ready for primetime. Just a bad game. And, and by the way, UCLA was my pick to win it all at the start of the season. So, you know, uh, they're still really good. And we we did not expect Arizona to be this good. I still think UCLA is probably the better team, as they showed on, on uh, Tuesday night. I think Arizona next week, we'll talk about that here coming up. But uh, – yeah, I, I, I'm not worried about it at all. I think it's a blip on the radar, and um, we just we move along. I, 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 let's let's not overreact. And, and I wrote that on Twitter. You wrote that on Twitter. And, and the people, as as you said, that are being stupid on Twitter, get with it. I mean, let's let's just. Uh, you know, what I like to say stupid. I would say impulsive. You know, and I and I get it because we've been let down a bunch of times before. But you know, look if it happens again, or you know, if this team look. If this team loses to ASU on Saturday, a yeah. bad ASU team, then then you say whatever you want, and I ain't gonna stand in your way. But for this one, it just you know, look, I'm I'm as cynical as they come, Eric. You know that. Yes, I. But do. but let's let's take a deep breath. Yeah, That's no loser, no loser talk on uh, on Wildcat Country. I'll say that. Uh, number two, Kirk Crease's confidence is a concern mm-hmm. after his 0 for 12 game against UCLA on Tuesday night. Are you buying or selling that? I'm going to sell that one just as much as I did the first one, Erica. Let's just call it as it is. Kirk Kreese is a cocky SOB who who we'd all hate if he played for anyone else. I agree. But he plays for Arizona, so we love him. At least I do. I think you do too. Look, Kirk Kreese has played for the junior and senior national teams in Estonia. He's played for pro teams overseas. He's not going to wilt under pressure. This wasn't I, I am convinced, Eric, that this was just a bad performance from him. And maybe he got a little too eager to put up shots. I don't think it was because of nerves. He just doesn't seem like that kind of guy. I think he's going to bounce back just fine. Even Tommy Lloyd said after the game, he hopes Kirk Kreese takes at least as many shots the next game. He's confident they're going to start falling. You know, maybe, maybe Kirk Kreese experienced a bit of humility that he possibly needed Tuesday night, if that is in, in his capacity, in his capabilities. Uh, as confident as he is, I'm, I'm not concerned about Kirk. Um, even the best shooters have a bad shooting night. I think he's going to be fine. Yeah. And it's funny that the UCLA student section was chanting like what MVP Adam, something like that. I, you know what? I love it. It's, it'll, it'll fire up. It'll make exactly. for a more exciting rematch. I'm fine yeah, with all of that. I'm going to sell this one as well. All right. Uh, number three. So obviously we're going to preview the game next week, Shane, but I, I think I'm going to phrase it this way. Arizona should and will be the favorite next Thursday night, according to the betting odds, uh, when UCLA comes to McHale Center. Buy or sell that? Oh, that's a tough one. Well, you know, they were a favorite at, at UCLA. Yes, they two were. Two and a half points. And that's yep. when we didn't even know if Tubelis was going to play at that point. Uh, so that's interesting. I, I would say, gosh, are, is Vegas going to favor them? I If I had to bet, I would say, if I had to bet on what how, how to bet, uh, I would say yes, if only by a point, because they're in Tucson, it'll be different. You know, assuming that, you know, Arizona doesn't have any more injuries that, um, and by the way, It'll be interesting to see what Arizona does with Tubelis on Saturday. Yep. Because, I wouldn't play him. I wouldn't play him. Because, you, uh, you know, I don't know if Tommy Lloyd would say it out loud, but I, th- I think he's probably thinking, look, hopefully we can beat the Sun Devils without this guy and get this guy more rest, get him over another week to prepare for UCLA. So I wouldn't be surprised if he didn't play or if he maybe he came off the bench again and played a few minutes if, if needed. Maybe because I feel like that's what why he was there on Tuesday night because I, th- I think they thought, okay, if, if we need him, he's there. I think maybe it'll be the same capacity, but uh, going back to your question, I will buy that Arizona will be favored because it's even despite the result on Tuesday night, 
it's hard for me to believe they'd go from being a road favorite to a home underdog. I'm going to say they are a home underdog. If they are a home favorite, I think you you should bet them because that shows that obviously the odds makers think Arizona is going to win the game. I, I mean, I, I think well, Arizona last will time bounce too. back. Yeah, it, did. <laughs> yeah, it I, didn't. Well, right. But I mean, it, it's when you look at the second matchup after a team has already played, hmm. usually when the line flips like that, what I have noticed is obviously it, it you'll see the Wildcats win if they're favorite. It, we, you know better than I would on that, Eric. So I'll yeah, trust we'll, your judgment on that. We'll, we'll see next week. Uh, maybe okay. that's just dumb logic on my part. Okay. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll find out. All right. Number four, you discussed this on Twitter. Uh, I don't remember the name of the, uh, the, the tweeter who brought this up, but I thank you. He knows who he is. He's listening to the podcast as it goes. Uh, Arizona would be better off with a higher seed in a faraway region than a lower one in the West. Do you buy or sell that notion? Yeah, it was a good question. And the question was, would you rather Arizona be a one in, in a region that's not other than the West or be a two in the West? And ordinarily, I would say it really doesn't matter. I don't know if it matters if Arizona plays close to home. You know, they played plenty of home games or not home games, but games close to home in the tournament in the last decade or so. It hasn't panned out very well. And Arizona fans are everywhere. You know, you you, you heard them at Madison Square Garden when they played Duke uh, back yep. in 2013 with Aaron Gordon there or 2014, yep. whatever year it was. So I, I, I'm not terribly concerned uh, about that. They've also proven they could win on the road. So, I mean, I know that the UCLA game didn't go well, but they they whipped uh, an Illinois team that just beat number 10 Michigan State. The other thing is specifically if we're talking about a one or a two seat and, and they maybe they end up going lower than that. Uh, if there are two in the West, Gonzaga's going to be the one in the West. Yep. And, I, and I, I'm not Look, you've got to play the best teams at some point, but I would love for Arizona just to get to the final four. You know, typically there's no like consolation prize if you just make it to a championship game or whatever, but college basketball is different. There's still prestige attached to getting to that final four. And I don't, Gonzaga is probably the one team I would not want Arizona to see before then, along with maybe UCLA at this point. So it, I would say I would, to answer the question, I would rather than be a one seed somewhere else than be a two seed in the West at this point. I think right now, as it stands, Gonzaga is the one in the West, UCLA is the two, and Arizona would get shipped as a two elsewhere. Agree. For me, I obviously would prefer Arizona to be in the West because their fans would show up, and it's nice hearing them have fan support. You know, And I know we they've had problems in Anaheim. I don't think the uh, Elite Eight or the Sweet 16 Elite Eight is in Anaheim this year. It's not really worried about it. Uh, Staples or whatever it's called now, Crypto Center, whatever it is in L.A. <laughs> crypto that, Center, yeah. That, 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 that and, it's uh, called the and Crypt. The Crypt, yes. That and uh, and and the the pond in Anaheim or whatever it's called now, the Honda Center. I mean, those those aren't very good. Not very good luck for Arizona, but it's nice hearing their fans there. I kind of wish they were out west. I see your point about Gonzaga though, and I didn't think about that. So I'm kind of neutral on this one. But I actually I'm gonna I'm gonna buy this one uh, that they would be better off with a higher. You know, Eric. You know that that the committee has a chance to put Gonzaga as the one and Arizona as the two in the same region. They're gonna do it. Oh, for sure. They they they, they you know because the Tommy Lloyd factor. That, well, but right, but you got to be UCLA UCLA next week. If Arizona loses to UCLA next week, you know now you're talking three seed, maybe four seed. You're you're dropping a little you know, bit. Two at best at that point, I would say. Yeah, I would, uh, your one seed is over. Yeah, probably. Okay, number five. Shane, I know you're going to the game on Saturday at McHale Center. Uh, ASU will be there. I think Bobby Hurley will be back from his one-game suspension after mm-hmm. his antics last week. Uh, do you buy or sell the fact or the the notion that Bobby Hurley will be coaching his final game as head coach of Arizona State at McHale Center? If ASU is wise, I I, I would sell it uh, just because I don't know. Wait, I, you would I, sell? I, you would, you would... I, I, don't, I don't think it's going to be his last game. 
You don't. I, how did you phrase it? Like buy or sell it would be his last game in McHale. Yeah. I'll sell yeah. it. I'll sell it. I look, who's ASU going to get better than Bobby Hurley? Who's going to be a better recruiter for ASU than Bobby Hurley? I know they've struggled mightily the last several years, but this isn't. I mean, like if. if this was, you know, the record he had, you know, if he was coaching at Arizona or, or, or a school that's typically in the top 25, then sure, you'd move, go a different direction. But this is ASU. Now, they, they, I don't know who they're going to get to come here who's, or to, and we I say here, we both live up in the Valley, uh, who's going to be better. Uh, I, I think he, you need to give him at least one more year to write the ship. I mean, this was a big turnover year for, for him. Uh, and I don't want to make excuses for him. I do. Like, I bet I do like Bobby Hurley personally. I got to interact with him quite a, a few times when I was at ABC 15. I, I like him despite the way he's conducting himself on the court. And, and he definitely made a mistake the other day, uh, getting an official's face and then not in allowing his players to do the same. So he definitely needs to, to check his emotions a little bit better and pick his spots better. But I don't see ASU improving upon the, uh, Bobby Hurley is a coach. He's definitely got at least in the past. He got fans excited about the program. He's able to recruit at a high level. Uh, it's just, you know, it, it's like w- w- for me, it was like with Arizona, you know, firing Rich Rodriguez, you know, you brought in a bigger name, but it didn't work out. You know, you, how are you going to get better than Rich Rodriguez? And hopefully that works out, but you have to be realistic with the pedigree or lack thereof that's associated with that program. I'm, I'm buying this one. I think Hurley's done at ASU. Uh, really? And, Do you think so? I don't. Yeah. It, uh, it, it, and don't so Hurley was my favorite player growing up. I shouldn't admit this, but it, as a, as a college basketball yeah. NBA he was player, great. He's yeah, great. He, he was fun to watch. And, you know, this is before my U of A fandom and everything like that. It's mm-hmm. fun to watch. And, and I had a Sacramento Kings jerseys as a kid and all that. And, and he had that car accident, which was too bad, but you know, he's, yeah. he's developed into a nice coach. Uh, unfortunately not having, or fortunately for us, not having too much success at ASU lately, but it's time for him to move on. The guy that I would bring in if I was ASU and, and I, maybe I'm biased because I've met him before. And uh, one of my close friends uh, grew up playing ball with him here in the Phoenix area. The guy's name is Todd Golden and he's the head coach at the university of San Francisco. Mm. Uh, he's done a great job there. And if you remember, he was uh, Todd worked under Kyle Smith, who went on to Washington state and he's done a nice job there. Mm-hmm. And he's a Bruce Pearl protege, uh, protege uh, coached at Auburn. He was an assistant at Auburn. I think I think Todd Golden is a, is a local kid would be a good fit for ASU. He's done a good job with USF in a conference where it's hard to to win, you know, outside of Gonzaga and maybe St. Mary's and BYU. And, and USF's pretty competitive. They they gave Gonzaga a little bit of a fight uh, last week, with, and they're one of the only teams this year to have done that. So I think he would be the right hire for ASU. And I think ASU does make the move this time. So. Bonus question. And we've never discussed this on the podcast, Shane. You have no idea what I'm about to ask. Oh, good. This will be fun. Buy or sell. Bill Walton is great when he calls an Arizona basketball game. Oh, you're going to make me go full old man yells at cloud here. I'm going to sell it. You know why? I don't care if he's playing, if he's calling someone else's game, but I, you know, I want to hear commentary about the basketball game from a commentator who's calling the basketball game. You know, you want to, you want to talk about all kinds of other nonsense, do it. I, I know. I know. I sound like a curmudgeon. Yes, and, you and do. I, and you set me up to sound like one. Yes, so I, don't I did. Appreciate that. Yes. Uh-huh. I, I, I would look, I, I, you know, after I say that, I said, I'd love to have him on the podcast at some point to talk, to talk basketball. But I, I feel like, especially like, you know, it's in the first half, I get it. But it's like, you know, two minutes left. It's a tie game. You know, I don't know if he's calling the Arizona UCLA game next week, but uh, uh, yeah, he is. Oh, for no, sure. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. But it's like, it's a tie game. Crowd's going crazy. Two minutes left. I don't want him talking about weed. Okay. I, I just don't, you know, in the first half of the game, that's fine. But I, I would, I would rather commentators talk about it. Now with that said, 
Jay Billis is on the other end of the spectrum. He definitely talks basketball and I'm not crazy about him either. So I guess I'm picky, but you know, I, I appreciate Bill Walton as a comic relief, but as a serious commentator in a big game, I'd rather have someone else. Just my opinion. I, I don't, I don't fault anything you just said. I, I know it's a polarizing topic and, and I, other people have talked about it, you know, on Twitter, uh, in person, you know, just with friends, I, I'm going to say, I'm going to sell it. He, you know, there are times where he does annoy me. Don't get me wrong. He's a very nice guy. I've met him a couple of times hmm. uh, just for a brief moment. Sure. He's but, a great guy. Sure. He's yeah. a great guy. But, and it, what he does on the air, he puts on the act. I mean, he's not like that. I, when I interacted with him, he was completely normal and serious. I, I just, he, yeah. he's entertaining. He brings something different and he and Dave Pash play off each other very, very well. So uh, I'm you know, going, you know, you know, Eric, he didn't used to be like that. Do you remember back at, when he called the NBA games, like the NBA finals back right. in the day? Yeah. He didn't used to be like, cause that. he couldn't be like that. Cause yeah. they would have never, they would have never had him on there. Right. But, so now in college basketball, he's having a good time and he's, he's trying to be that announcer I, that people tune in to watch. I know, but I, and the, I guess that's the part that frustrates me, Eric. It's like in, in the rare times where the PAC 12 is on prime time and it's like, you know, earlier than midnight on the East coast, you have this joker on the air calling the game. And that's what he is. I mean, I know and in real life, I'm sure he's not, but that's what he is. He's a jester basically during these games. I would rather have someone who actually calls the games in the limited times where, where the PAC 12 gets featured nationally. Just my opinion. Get off Shane's lawn. That's Coming right. up next, AJ Bramlett national champion from the 97 team. And then Matt Moreno going to teach us a lot about this year's football team upcoming football team here on Wildcat Country. Shane, I was watching last night's game, and and I think Dave Pash mentioned that it was 25 years since Arizona won the national championship. Can you believe 25 years ago? Does it, does it feel like that? Definitely not to me. But we are very excited to have our first member of the national championship team, uh, the 1997 amazing national championship team, A.J. Bramlett, joining us here on Wildcat Country. Glad to have you here, A.J. Uh, just, you know, we're going to talk a lot about that. But first of all, I want to ask you about this year's team. Aside from what we saw last night against UCLA, just your thoughts on, and do they remind you of your team back in, in 97 a bit? Yeah, you know, I love this team, man. And, you know, regardless of what happened last night, I think they've done, you know, an incredible job this year, exceeded expectations. Um, just the style of play that they play, the way that they play, um, the chemistry that they have with the guys, as you can tell. You know, I mean, that's the thing, even from the beginning, I – had a chance to, you know, check out the team before the season started uh, for Coach Olson's celebration of life and got to sit with some of those guys and talk to them. And you can just tell that, like, they like each other, man. And, and that uh, that's a big part of, you know, success, especially being able to build success quickly. And Coach Lloyd's done a great job of empowering those guys, really giving them freedom to play their games. And they play a similar style to what we played, you know, in, in, back in the Coach Olson days and on our teams where it's free. It's free wheeling. You know, you, you can throw lobs. If, but guys open from half court and you see them, you can throw a lob pass, try it. You know what I mean? There's they have a little bit more freedom than they've had in the past. And it's a fun brand of basketball to watch. And, you know, they've just been, they've been playing really well. And last night they ran into a little buzzsaw, but overall this season has been uh, amazing so far. And I, I just love this group of guys. Yeah, AJ, uh, thanks again, like Eric said, for joining us. Uh, you know, I know you've had some members of this year's team on your own podcast Based on your conversations with them and what you know about this team, how do you think they'll respond to what was really their first, I would say, wire-to-wire -wire bad game of the season, Tuesday night against UCLA? 
I think they're perfectly built to respond quickly. You know what I mean? I think that, you know, I think Coach Lloyd, and he's been talking about a little bit, you know, for the past couple of weeks about the rat poison and the high ranking and, you know, that this this was probably coming down the line for him at some point. And every team's going to have a bad game, man. And so you'd rather have it now where, you know, you can learn from it, you know, fix the stuff that went wrong in that game. I mean, UCLA is a really good team too. Like I thought, you know, last night on Twitter, everyone was kind of losing their minds. Like, ah, oh, it's, you know, we should have blew them out. And, you know, there's no way we should have lost this game. That, that's not true at all. These guys are battle-tested, Final Four, you know, veteran guys that know how to play and they know how to win. And so we weren't ready for them last night. They came out, you know, and really put it on us, you know, all night long. We made a couple runs, uh, you know, and, you know, we had the worst game, you know, probably in his career from Kirk Creesa, which he'll bounce back from, you know what I mean? And so, you know, I thought overall, but the effort was there the entire game. They, they still kept battling. You didn't see guys fighting with each other and getting upset with each other. They still had good chemistry. They were still together. And, you know, you just take your lumps and you learn from it and hopefully, you know, it's going to bode well for us down to, you know, Pac-12 tournament time. And once we get into into the NCAA tournament, it's going to be a, we'll look back on it and say, hey, these guys got better from this. And, you know, that's the way we're going to take it. Yeah. From my perspective, AJ, I'd say one, another possible parallel between this, this team and the 97 team that won it all is a lot of people thought each team was maybe a year away from being a contender. Right. You know, and, and I, I mean, I remember thinking that even back when I was in high school thinking, Oh, 98, this team is going to be great. And then you guys went on the run, the, ran the table. And so, you know, you guys are ahead of schedule. This team certainly seems ahead of schedule. Would that be a fair assessment in your opinion? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, they, but you know, they've been playing so well this year from I, mean, I think the beginning of the season, if anyone said, Hey, we're going to be ranked number three in the country and playing at UCLA, you know, in, uh, in January, everyone would have been like, no, they wouldn't have believed it first of all, probably. And then, you know, they would have been extremely happy. And so, you know, these guys have developed very quickly. I, I think it's a, it's a nod to coach, uh, coach Lloyd and what he's been able to do with this group and those guys, like they're, they're putting in work. You know, they built the, the team camaraderie that they have and, you know, guys are, know they know their roles they do it to a t and uh it's a fun team to watch but they definitely have the talent to make a run to the final four and a shot at the championship we have the size you know we have the one thing that we've you know been up and down on is is shooting you know i mean this year and last night was awful like (laughs) we just couldn't throw it in the ocean had a lot of open shots and just couldn't knock them down and you know i think that'll get better as the season progresses but the one thing that i love like that didn't waver at all was the effort and the energy last night so one thing we kind of we talked about on last week's show, and I kind of got in trouble a little bit on Twitter with with some of the fan base is expectations. And I said after watching them the other day in the, in the Bay Area sweep, I said, is it is it unfair to expect this team to, to make the final four? Would you say that's uh, what, what's your take on that? Is it unfair to, ex- to have serious expectations for this team or, you know, we're just going to enjoy the ride and, and let it be? No, I don't think it's, I, I think expectations are fine. You know I mean? I think they played well enough to garner that type of, you know, thought process. I mean, they're, I've seen, you know, when they're playing at their best, they're as good as any team in the country that I've watched. I've watched a ton of college basketball, you know, from Duke to Gonzaga to everyone. I don't, I don't think there's a team that we, when we're playing at our top level that we can't compete with or, or beat, but obviously they're going to take learning lessons like they did last night, you know, against UCLA because we're still a young team. Like, you know, got, we're playing very well, but we still got young guys, you know what I mean? a lot of them haven't been in the roles that they're in this year you know they're still do they've been doing those roles extremely well 
but you're going to run into bumps along the road when you're when you're making that progress. And so I see last night as a bump in the road that's going to elevate us and push us into you know an even better team after we shore up the things that went wrong last night and you know kind of fix some of the things that that we didn't do well. We're going to be a better team for that, and that's going to you know be well uh, do well for us once we get to the tournament. So they have a definite shot. I, I've said that you know for the last month or so, and I'm not changing my mind now just because of one game. AJ said it way better than I could have. So I'll, I'll just, I'll roll with that. All right. So let's talk. I'm, I'm really excited to talk about the 97-17. You guys lost your last two uh, against the Bay Area schools. You went into the tournament as the fifth best team in the Pac-12. What were your expectations going into that tournament? You couldn't have thought you were going to win the national championship. We didn't think we were going to win the championship, but like th- that's what I'm saying about this year's team too. Is like the chemistry that we had was amazing. And like I've been on a lot of teams, you know, I've been on a championship team in high school and played on championship team, you know, overseas and and successful teams all over the place. And they all have you know kind of one thing that that's you know sticks out for all of them, and it's chemistry between the guys. You know what I mean? And so you know that was something that we had that year that I've never been on a team that had that type of chemistry. It was just everyone was selfless. Nobody was trying to, you know, to go to the NBA or do anything. No one had a personal agenda or anything. We were just guys out there having fun, supporting each other. And it was a rough season that year. You know I mean? We, we lost nine games. Like we, you know, there was a lot of doubt of anyone thinking that we were going to do anything in the tournament. Everyone thought we were going to flame out in the first round and the first round games were not easy. <laughs> I mean, we were down 10, you know, I think we were four minutes to go in both of those games against South Alabama and, uh, College of Charles won, won every single game by single digits. If I remember, right. back, you yeah. know what I mean. But, but we had that belief in each other, and we knew we had talent. I mean, if you look back now, it's like, yeah, you guys had Jason Terry and Mike Bibby and you know Michael Dickerson and Miles Simon and all these guys. But at that point, we weren't those guys yet. You know what I mean? Like none of those guys were there yet. So, but we all believed in the talent that we had. We believed that we could beat anybody. We did have that that kind of mindset, and that you know that really worked for us throughout that tournament, especially in the Kansas game and going through that. But we had played a tough schedule that year. That's why we had so many losses. You know what I mean? And Coach Olson always played an extremely tough schedule. So that by the time we got to the tournament, nothing really surprised us on the level of effort or you know size or speed or anything that we faced. We were ready to go, and we were still ready that year. Definitely a difference between the Pac-10 back then and the Pac-12 now, except for maybe the top top third of the Pac-12 for sure. Uh, I, I, AJ, I, I kind of bristle when people ask, is this a Final Four team? Because I think there's a difference between being a Final Four team and being one of the top four teams in the country because of the unpredictable nature of the tournament. I think so much of it comes down to matchups uh, and the luck of the draw there. Would you say that's accurate? How much of it has to do with maybe matchups versus momentum? I think it's a combination of both. I mean, you know, obviously, you know, you want to get, uh, you know, want to play teams that you match up well against, you know, uh, you know, obviously we don't match up well against UCLA right now, <laughs> judging from last night, uh, but everybody else, you know, we played pretty, pretty tough outside of the Tennessee game, which we still have, you know, an opportunity to win. And, but I think the style of play that we play when we're playing our top basketball, it can match up with anybody, you know, in the country. And so, you know, I think we just have to improve on a lot of little things, uh, you know, shore up some, some deep, defensive, you know, uh, assignments and, you know, toughness a little bit at, at times. Turnovers for sure. Last night we had a little, uh, you know, problem with that and the three-point shooting. But, you know, I think uh, the tournament's a, a crapshoot, man, because in 98, you know, we had a way better team. We were so much better in 98 than we were in 97, man. We were we were a machine that year. And, you know, we ran into a bad matchup with Utah and they killed us. You know what I mean? And we were the number one overall seed in the tournament. And I still – 
that game gives me nightmares, man. I'm still mad about that game. And but that can happen in the tournament. So you, you need a little bit of luck too. But they have like all the ingredients that's necessary to make it that kind of run. I want to ask you about in particular about probably my favorite guy on the team, and that's Kirk Carissa, who I would probably despise if he played for anyone else just because he, he has that, that little bit of cockiness uh, uh, about him. That's probably an understatement. Was there anyone on the 97 team that sort of played that role for you guys that, that sort of got under the opponent's skin a little bit? Um, I think Miles was that guy, you know what I mean? Because Miles was extremely – I mean, he was just a cocky dude, arrogant, you know what I mean? It believed in himself, like, to the T. So you couldn't tell him anything. He knew he was a winner. He knew what he could do on the court. And I think, you know, he was the one that played that role. From a physical standpoint, it was Gene, Eugene Henderson. You know what I mean? <laughs> he was the one from a physical standpoint that could get under our opponent's skin and get guys rattled and, you know, kind of get a mental edge going there. But Miles really brought the kind of swag and, you know, really uh, belief in our team that we kind of all followed uh, during that time because he believed so much in himself and his ability to come through in the clutch and, and just make plays and, and be a winner that, you know, it rubbed off on all of us as well. So when you look back on those on that tournament and you you said your first two games, you're down by 10 points with, uh, you know, late in the second half, you come back to win. OK, fine. You beat, uh, I believe it was uh, South Alabama and then College of Charleston. And then you're huge underdogs against Kansas. What do you remember about that game and just just celebrating at the end of it? Well, I mean, even before that game, man, this is what I'm telling you about that team is like we knew we were going to win that game. Like no one else, no one else did. We did. We do. We were cocky. We were like, we're going to beat these guys. And like, we were loose and shoot around, joking around. Like, no one had any pressure. We were going to go out there and play our game. And like, that's it's crazy to think about now. Like, I don't know why we felt like like that because, I mean, Kansas was thirty-four to one. I think at that point, you know, th- that year, and you know, had five All Americans or four or five All Americans or whatever they had. And um, but we just believed that we were going to win that game. And so, you know, we came out and just you know did everything that we needed to do to get that victory afterwards. Still one of the greatest, you know, moments of just celebration and pure joy, you know, for us, our families too, like whenever we all get back together and, you know, even our parents and stuff are around, like they all talk about that game and and how much fun they had and how, you know, still clear it is in their memories of where they were, what they were doing at that time in the stands or, or whatever it was. And it was just a, it was a really fun game, man. And you just, you're lucky that you're able to be a part of that, uh, that type of history. Yeah, and then, and then you get to the final four. You beat Providence in overtime uh, with the Austin Crozier God Sham God team, I yeah. believe. And then you get to the final four. You play North Carolina. That was a really good team. You beat them, and then it's Rick Pitino and Kentucky in the finals. Just tell us about that night. Um, and, and you had you had one field goal in that game. Yeah. Obviously, started it. Just what do you remember about that night? And and just going into overtime, just kind of your your feelings on everything. Just kind of sum it up for us, if you can. Well, I was in foul trouble that game, so <laughs> I had one field goal. <laughs> Didn't get to play a lot of that game, and, you know, that still bugs me to this day. But, you know, what I remember most about it is just our toughness. You know, and I remember Coach Olsen coming to, you know, us right before the overtime in the, in the huddle and being like, hey, the toughest team is going to win this, you know, is going to win this game. And nobody remembers second place. Like, no one's going to remember who, if you guys made it all the way here and you don't win, like, no one's going to remember this run. So go out there and get it done. And, you know, Donnell Harris really stepped up, you know, in overtime, made big free throws, made plays to win the game. You know, Gene was in there doing, you know, great things for us that we needed. And so, like, it was a full team effort to get that victory. And, uh, you know, I was just as as excited for Donnell, even though I fouled out, I was excited for Donnell to be out there doing his thing. And that's the type of team that we had. And that's why we 
were able to do what we did, man. It's no, and no one's still, you know, been able to do it, which is knock off three number one seeds. That's the best thing about it, man. It's like nobody can ever say, oh, you guys had an easy path or this team lost or that team lost. We ran through all of them, man. <laughs> and if you ever want to let players know the importance of making free throws, just show them that overtime. Cause I think that's all that Arizona did in overtime was, right. was uh, is it free throws. And that was the difference. Uh, I think it's obvious, AJ, that ASU is Arizona's main rival in football. But in men's basketball, I'd say UCLA has been Arizona's biggest rival. Do you see it that way, too? Yeah, it was. I mean, it was that way, you know, even when I was in college. I mean, UCLA and Stanford was really good back then. So I think right. those two were our biggest rivals. But UCLA, Arizona has gone back years and years. And there's always usually the most talent, you know, in the conference are on both teams. There's big time players. There's guys that are NBA prospects. And the coaches have done a, a heck of a job over the years. And so it's a fun matchup. And I'm glad that, you know, we don't have to wait too long to see those guys again. I think it's good for the team. I think it's a good, great to have another opportunity to, to show what we can do and to kind of knock off what happened last night. And I think that, that we're going to be ready next Thursday. I'll be lucky enough to uh, be at the ASU game on Saturday. Thanks, Eric, for the tickets, by the way. Uh, appreciate it. Uh, my first game in person in a while. Any favorite memories of, uh, of playing against ASU? And since they got UCLA coming up again, any favorite memories of playing against UCLA? Uh, just maybe one of each. Well, my ASU one is definitely my senior year in 99. And we played them. They, they had a really good team that year. And that was my one of my best games that I played. It was at ASU. I made a basket with, you know, under 10 seconds, I think, to, to put us up in that game and, and give us the win. And, you know, Jason Terry and I, and I don't know if people know this, Jason Terry and I, at the time, and I don't know if this is still true, but we were the only class that had to go undefeated against ASU when we were there. So <laughs> that's a that's a badge of pride that we wear, easy to bring out whenever, whenever you're around any ASU fans. <laughs> and then uh, UCLA was just the battles, man. Like, and more over there when we played them at UCLA. And I think the game, one of the games that I remember most is the year in '98 when we were undefeated going into the last weekend. We were 16 and 0 and going to the to um, to LA schools to play those last two games. And we played USC first, and we ended up losing to USC on a, on a crazy buzzer beater at, at the buzzer, some weird shot at the buzzer beater. And uh, we got our first loss there, but then we had to bounce back right away and play UCLA uh, with Baron Davis and, and, and all those guys. And uh, we, you know, came out there and just balled, man, and had one of our best games. Michael Dickerson went off for like 30 points, was, uh, was just killing those guys. And I just remember us doing that to them in their, in their gym. There's nothing better than that. Going in on the road and getting to silence their fans and when. And to hear those U of A chants in somebody else's gym is the best, the best thing out there, man. Oh, it's the best. Anytime you're, anytime you're on the road, and I obviously I've been to a, a, a ton of ASU games up here, and just hearing it, you know, U of A chants in uh, Wells Fargo Arena or whatever it's called now, the bank. McHale, it's, I guess it's called McHale North. McHale, McHale North, yeah. I mean, it's just, <laughs> it's, it's amazing. To, it, always, always. All right, two more questions for you, AJ. Uh, and next time we have you on, we're going to, we need some Coach O stories. But one thing I've never found out, and I've never heard it talked about. When Bennett Davison messed up Coach O's hair at the end of the national championship game, did he ever say anything about it? Was he pissed? I mean, what was what was going on there? No, he never. I thought he was going to be pissed, to be honest, <laughs> because his hair was so immaculate all the time. But he wasn't, man. He was in, he was just joyous. You could just see the relief on Coach's face. He, he was so happy. He tried to fix it right away because it was it was uncomfortable <laughs> for him, for sure. But Bennett was the only one on the team that could have got away with that anyway. So <laughs> it was a great moment. People always uh, think it was me. Like, people will always hey. say, oh, you're the one that messed up Coach O's hair. Like, no, that was Bennett. But, yeah, it was just an iconic moment. And, and, uh, you know, it was, it was just awesome, you know, t- uh, you know, connection between those two guys at that time. It was, it was sweet. 
I had never heard Coach O come out and talk about that. So I'm glad that we finally got the scoop there. <laughs> and last question for you. Tell us about your own podcast and, and where our listeners can, can find it. Yeah, absolutely. The podcast is called uh, Bear Down Ballers with AJ Bramlett. It's on the field of 68 Network. You can find it on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, anywhere that you listen to your podcast. It's been fun, man. You know, I've had JT on, Mike Bibb on, uh, just had Jay, Joseph Blair on this week. So, and then we've got some some of the current guys on the current team on too. So it's been really fun with me to, you know, go back and talk about all these old stories. And then also to have the connection to the current team where you feel like you're kind of on the ride with them this year. So I'm really connected to these guys this year and hoping that they can make a big run and, and you know, really uh, have, a, have a good trip along the way. Sounds like a must listen for any Wildcat basketball fan. So we will all be checking it out. Thank you so much for joining Shane and I on Wildcat Country. And uh, we hope to have you back on again soon so we can hear some more stories from uh, from your days in the uh, Wildcat uniform. Thanks, thanks for joining lot, us, guys. AJ. Yeah. yeah, thanks a lot, guys. Appreciate it. Bear down. Shane, it's always a pleasure to have the guest we've had on the most times. And I've lost count. He's been on so many times. Senior editor of GoAzyCats.com, Matt Moreno, joining us here on Wildcat Country. Matt, always glad to have you. And, you know, every time we talk, it's like, all right, Arizona gets a new player, interested in a new player. Since we had you on last, which I think is like a month ago or, or six weeks ago, something like that, they have like an entirely new team. I mean, this is a this is an exciting team, right? I mean, Jaden Delora, T Mac, uh, all these other recruits. I mean, you you have to be kind of fired up to to cover this this squad right now, right? Yeah, I mean, it's completely transformed. I mean, you look at the what the plan was going into the offseason, and I don't know that you could have done much better. I mean, you added a lot of quality playmakers. A lot of players that are going to, um, you know, impact the team right away. And I think the added bonus has been some of these players that maybe a lot of fans and even myself didn't really know everything about a lot of guys, you know, uh, that I just didn't get to see. I obviously was very familiar with the Servite guys, was able to see a lot of them play a lot of the California guys, but some of these other players from other places, such as Hawaii, uh, don't get out to Hawaii too often, unfortunately. Uh, but, you know, they've come in and the, the word has been that they've, they've looked really good. So, uh, they've obviously played some some a couple All Star games since the last time we talked, and you know Rayshon uh, Luke had a <laughs> had a heck of a moment at the All American Bowl. Amazing, and, yeah. um, you know all these players that Arizona had kind of looked at, and you know the coaching staff really loved. Now everyone's everyone else is getting a chance to see why, and so I think that's really been a bonus to all this. And in one of the advantages of of, have, of having the early signing period is someone like Rayshon Luke who blows up, you know, during the All American Bowl. He's already locked up. He's already signed because the fear would have been, you know, in another time, if there wasn't the early signing period, Rishon no. Luke is probably going to get some offers coming off of that. All no takesy backsies, Rishon. <laughs> so, uh, so he's already signed. And, you know, obviously Jonas Savainea is someone else who has uh, kind of made some noise early in camp or early in work. I'm not even going to try to say that name. I, you want to say that again? <laughs> you want to give that another yeah. try? Yeah. No, I did it once and I'm nailed it. Okay. Uh, <laughs> There's no way I can do that. Um, but no, I mean, so that that's another player that obviously has created some buzz uh, in, in winter workouts. And so we'll see him in the spring. But um, yeah, I think just from even the guys that we knew were on board, uh, they're even, you know, starting to make some strides. And so it's just all good news for Arizona right now. Yeah, uh, Matt, like Eric alluded to, I think we need to list you as the third co-host of Wildcat Country. We really appreciate <laughs> you sharing our, your wisdom as always. Um in Rivals' updated rankings, you, you noted, Matt, that Arizona now has 11 2022 commits rated as a high three-star or better, uh, which is the most that they've had since you've been covering the team in the last decade. They have four players rated in the Rivals' top 10 at their respective positions. I think we sort of covered this before, but I got to ask you again, Matt, how? How has Jed Fish and his staff been able to pull this off after a 1-11 season? Yeah, I mean, I think it's obviously – 
a lot has to do with the coaching staff themselves. I mean, you know, their personality, I think they're really selling a vision and um, I come back to that. They targeted the right guys. I mean, they targeted the right types of prospects that, you know, if one thing fell one way and, and, you know, worked in their favor, it was going to end up, you know, leading to a big result. And we saw that I think T-Mac is the best example of that, where they put a lot of work in for a really long time and said, even if he ends up going to, uh, going to Oregon, um, you know, there's going to be that option of, Hey, something could happen there. If, if anything happens with a lot of these guys, you know, and, and their equipment happens to fall through Arizona wants to be there in the end. And that's what happened with, you know, T-Mac. And there's a lot of guys like that where Arizona kind of just continued to work them and um, recruit them and stay involved. And, you know, some coaching changes happen and Arizona's like, Hey, we're, we're here still. And so I think that's worked in their favor. I think, um, again, they targeted a lot of the right guys. I think, you know, they, they targeted enough players that know other players that want to, you know, play with them. And so that's worked out. Um, you know, Kevin green and Ephesians price soccer, two guys that know each other well, but there's other guys within the class that know them. So they've just targeted a lot of the right guys, I think, and, um, you know, found the right situations, uh, to recruit, but also I think it just comes back to a lot of the the players in this class believe they're going to be on the field next season. I mean, I think that's just the reality of the situation. I think they feel like, Hey, this is the first recruiting class under Jed fish. Um, he didn't recruit most of this roster. We're going to have an opportunity because we're quote unquote, his guys. And so I think there's some validity to that. I think there are going to be a lot of these players that do get on the field right away. And we'll see what that means for a lot of the veteran players that are going, Hey, what happened to our starting role? But they went one in 11 last season. I don't think anybody's job is safe. And so I think a lot of the belief with, uh, you know, most of this class, if not everybody in this class is that, Hey, I'm going to get an opportunity to play right away. And, and talking to a lot of them, hearing a lot of the conversations that they've had, I think that's been a big part of this. And then the NFL experience on this staff, I think is playing a really big part. Um, talking to some of the 2023 recruits who um, Arizona is pursuing already and are looking to make some early decisions uh, Braden Dorman, a four-star quarterback from Colorado who just visited last weekend. I think in every question that I asked him, I talked to him for probably about 20 minutes before his visit, probably another 15 after his visit. I don't think there was a single question that I asked, asked that he didn't answer with something having to do with the NFL and Jed Fish's connections to the NFL, his coaching staff's connections to the NFL. Um, that is very important to him. That's been very important to a lot of these recruits. Um, it holds a lot of weight. And I think that's a big part of this as well, because they look up and down the coaching staff and they go, Oh, that guy's been in the NFL. That guy's been in the NFL. That guy's been in the NFL. I want to get there. And I think that's been a big part of this as well. I mean, AJ Jones, for example, is someone who signed and when he flipped from UCLA to to Arizona, uh, that was the first thing he mentioned. He said, I want to get to the NFL. They've been there. They know how to not only get me there, but can help me stay there. And I think that's been a big part of this as well. Absolutely agree. Uh, you know, you, you alluded to the uh, the Polynesian Bowl. A number of Arizona commits were a uh, part of that game last weekend, and then were in Hawaii the past week training for it. Uh, some uh, some of the guys made a big impression in the game itself. What are your biggest takeaways from that game and the week in Hawaii leading up to it, as far as the Arizona guys go? Yeah, I mean, I think it was pretty much what I had seen from a lot of them. You know, obviously it was four Servite guys, and then you know modern day player, and then Jonah who's from Hawaii. So I hadn't had a chance to really see him very much. Uh, you can watch, you know, film and, and highlights like that and, and things like that. But uh, I was impressed by him and what he was able to do. But I think everyone comes back to T-Mac and what he was able to do. He had a really uh, solid game. Uh, Jacob Manu had an interception, picked off Noah Fafita. Yeah, I saw that. So I think maybe it'll be a future uh, prediction for what's going to happen in practice someday. Yeah. But I think that neither side wants that. I think Jacob's happy to get interceptions, but I don't think he wants to be picking off Noah Fafita too much. But um, yeah, I thought all those guys performed pretty well and kind of lived up to what we expected and what I've seen from them throughout this year. And so 
Um, I think it was it was a good thing for Arizona to be well represented in that game, uh, to get on national TV and have your brand and have your name, you know, flashed all over the screen is never a bad thing. And so um, I, I thought it was all kind of good things for Arizona. No, Fafita didn't have too bad of a game. I think he, you know, showed some some strong things and scored a touchdown in that game and showcased what he can do. And so I think for everybody involved, but I, it was a it was a solid game. But I think for T Mac, it was just showing. Hey, this guy, again, I think the, re, the resounding kind of sentiment after that game when, and after that week, really, because you learn a lot more during the week and in practice than you do necessarily in the game. The game, everyone kind of, they know that the cameras are on them. They kind of want to do their own thing and want to shine in their own way. But you learn a lot during the practices and really, you know, everybody that was at the practices really kind of had the same thought about T-Mac is that he just makes things look really easy. And, you know, that's what you continue to see in the game. And, and again, it's just setting him up for a really strong career at Arizona. So, you know, somebody pointed this out. I think I saw this on social media. It's a great comparison. One thing that turned around Mike Stoops when, when Stoops got to Arizona, in his second year, I believe, he brought in a quarterback who wore number seven, who was of Samoan descent, I believe, uh, Willie Tuitama, who's a who's been on with us a couple of times. We've really enjoyed having him on. And now uh, he's bringing in Jet Fish in his second year, is bringing in a quarterback wearing number seven, uh, somewhat similar background, although he's from Hawaii, and Jaden Delora, from Washington state. Just talk about his impact and what that means for the quarterback position with Noah Fafita going forward. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. It's an interesting room. I think there's a lot of um, competitive guys in there and not to say that that's not the case at every program, but these players in particular, there's a lot of competitive edge to a lot of these players, Noah Fafita included. Um, I don't think his mindset has necessarily changed. I think he came in and, and, when he committed to Arizona said, I'm planning to be the starter as soon as I get there. And I don't think that's changed. I think he still fully believes he wants to win this job and he has the talent to win the job. So um, the circumstances have definitely changed with Jaden Delora coming in. I think the assumption uh, is that he'll eventually earn the starting job. I mean, um, you know, he has the proven track record. He has the stats. He has the experience. He has kind of the missing element that when you go across the board, pretty much, all the other guys don't have and maybe outside of Jordan McLeod, who has a lot of experience, but um, the one thing that'll work against him is that he just hasn't been in the system. So it'll be about how quickly he can, you know, grasp things. And as we saw last spring, it was difficult. I mean, you know, you look at Will Plummer, uh, Gunner crew, um, you know, and, and some of the guys that are around, it was difficult for them to pick things up. And even Jordan McLeod, as we saw it, everyone kind of, you know, wondered Arizona fans kind of wonder, well, why didn't Jordan McLeod get on the field earlier? Well, it took him some time to learn things. I mean, if you watched him early in camp, you could see that he was clearly behind the other guys. So um, it will come down to how much he's able to, to pick up the offense, which is a little bit more complicated than most offenses in college football. But if he's able to do that, he has, he kind of checks off every other box. And so um, I think the assumption is going to be that he's going to win the job, but I think there'll be some good competition. I think Noah Fafita in particular is someone who could really at least push him a little bit. Um, I do think, and no, if he has said this, that, you know, he understands the situation now as well. He understands that, Hey, this guy, and he said it, he said this, this guy has what I don't have, which is experience. So I can learn from him. I'm going to take this opportunity to learn from him, but I'm also competing with him and want to win that starting job myself. So it makes for an interesting room and an interesting battle coming up for sure. Yeah. And the cool thing is unlike Jordan McLeod last year, who was not here for spring practice, uh, these two guys are. So Shane, we're going down again, by the way, uh, to, uh, to the spring game, like we did last year. That Absolutely. Yep. Uh, all right. So Matt, what happens with the other three guys in the quarterback room, Plummer, Cruz and McLeod, no one's transferred out yet. Are you surprised by that? Not really. I still think there, I think it's going to be on saying, Hey, I'm going to call your bluff too. And, and Hey, I'm ready to compete and we'll see who makes it out of this thing alive. Come I, on. Think, I mean, you know, those guys aren't competing with uh, Delora and probably Noah. 
but what they're going to put on the coaching staff to say, you make a decision then, because I think, I mean, I think, again, I think there's a different competitive edge to this group overall. I think even going down to Gunnar Cruz, I think he still feels like, Hey, if I'm out there, I still have a chance. And so, um, I, it's going to be really interesting. I don't think the quarterback room is going to look the same now that, it, you know, when it, when it t- comes time for training camp, I think it's just uh, ambitious to think that's going to be the case. I mean, that's just a lot of quarterbacks in one room and a lot of guys who have played and want to continue playing. And so I think there's going to be some things to figure out there, but um, you know, there's still time before spring ball. And obviously you look at, you know, the transfer portal and all that, and you want to get somewhere, you know, for spring ball, but uh, we'll see how it all shakes out. I think it is maybe a little bit surprising that they haven't lost at least one of these guys, but um, the thing that maybe makes it less surprising is, or not surprising is that, you know, they're competitive. And, and I know what all these guys, you know, how they, they carry themselves, what they think. And, and there's a lot of competitive competitiveness with this group. So it doesn't really shock me that no one's left yet. Let me ask you, Matt, about some of the other um, skill positions, uh, starting at tailback, you know, you're adding uh, Ray Sean Luke, who you mentioned and, and Jonah Coleman as well. You think they have a chance to make an immediate impact as true freshmen? Uh, yes, both of them do. I mean, there's not a lot of separation between Jonah Coleman and Rayshon Luke. I mean, I think everyone saw what Rayshon Luke did uh, in that All-American Bowl and said, oh, he's going to be someone who impacts the team right away. But Jonah Coleman is very, very good himself and a little bit of a different back, but they both kind of have some similar um, traits to themselves. They're both, I think, going to catch a lot of passes at Arizona. I don't think they're going to be strictly just used as running backs. And so I think that's when you look at this group, because that's the other position where you look at it and you go, it's a lot of players that you're trying to get some touches there. And even losing someone like Bam Smith to the transfer portal, there's still a lot of players that you're trying to get, you know, the ball in their hands right now. And so that's a little bit crowded back there. So I think it is going to be interesting to see how they kind of factor in. But I think with those two in particular, I think it's going to be a lot about getting involved in the passing game, you know, figuring out how you can use them and just get the ball in their hands any way you can. It's not going to necessarily just be handing them, handing them the ball and letting them go to work. I think there's going to be a lot of ways to get them in space and try and get them involved uh, to take advantage of speedy Luke's speed. So, um, I mean, I think there's going to be a lot of different ways to get them involved, but I think both of those guys, I do think are going to impact the team uh, pretty early on, if not both this season. Speaking of the passing game, Arizona's wide receiver room is going to look a lot different uh, next season as well. Uh, obviously, you have T-Mac coming in. You have Jacob Cowing transferring from UTEP, one of the top uh, wide receiver transfers. Mayjean Wright, who Eric will tell you, I, I love what I the, what little we saw of him in um, in 2020. He'll be eligible once again. Any early thoughts on how the wide receiver depth chart will pan out? There is not a hole in that depth chart. I mean, I, yeah. that's going to be the other situation where – how do you get all these guys on the field? Because I, I do think the staff is going to want to get all these guys on the field, but you look from top to bottom, there isn't a hole in the, in the receiver room. I mean, there's everybody can play. Um, everybody I think could be able to contribute, you know, this season. And so it makes for a really interesting, you know, look, and, and there's going to be a lot of competitiveness in that room as well, because um, there's only so many passes you can make. And I do think it's a good problem to have for Kevin Cummings and Jed fish. But um, the thing is you have a couple guys who, you figure, hey, they kind of have their spots locked up. You figure T-Mac is going to play as much as possible. Uh, you, fig- you figure Jacob Cowan is going to play as much as possible. He was one of the most productive guys this last season in all of college football. Uh, Dorian Singer just got put on scholarship. Jamari. You figure, Jamari. Majon Wright has maybe been the guy that Jed Fish has talked about the most of anybody, you know, throughout the last year. And he hasn't been able to play. He wasn't eligible last season after, you know, leaving and then coming back. So he's somebody who I think, could very well, you know, be part of that starting group as well. So there's a lot of players in that room. It's going to be, it's very talented. Um, I think nationally it's probably, it's going to be underrated, but 
Uh, I think when you can you know, look at that group, you could probably compare it to really anybody else in the country and say they have as much talent, you know, as the best receiver groups, maybe even in the country. So um, it's going to be really interesting. I, I think there are a couple guys, like I said, who are, it's going to be difficult to take someone like T-Mac off the field. And that's kind of where you run into some issues because you have a lot of other guys that are going to want to get on the field. And, you know, you can only play three and four receivers at a time unless they're going to try and go five wide or however they take out a lineman. I don't know how they're going to try and get all these guys on the field, but um, you also, you know, bulked up your tight end room too. So you yeah, want to get Key those guys and, on the field. Key and Burnett's yeah, got to play. We, we hadn't even gotten to him. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, there, there's just a lot of weapons. I think if you look at the the kind of theme of the off season and the theme of the last you know, six weeks. It's been just adding a ton of talent at the skill positions. Um, clearly the, you know, the, the underlying kind of issue they had last year was scoring points. And obviously that's, you know, that's on Jed fish. He's the offensive uh, play caller. He's in charge of running that side of the ball. You can't have that, you know, and especially when you're the head coach, you can't have, you know, the weak link being, you know, the, the side of the ball that you're on. And so I think, you know, I think that we know that really got to him that they weren't able to, you know, uh, have red zone success. And so they've really addressed that in a big way. Um, they've added some size, they've added some playmakers, uh, some players that can go up and, you know, catch 50, 50 balls. And so I just think uh, it's going to be really interesting to see kind of how all these skill position players get on the field, because I think a few of them, it's going to be hard to justify taking them off the field. And so it'll be you know very intriguing to see how that all comes together. Last question for you, Matt. Uh, we haven't touched on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, what guys do you think coming in both in terms of transfers and uh, and commits coming out of high school? Do you think are most likely to have the imme- most immediate impact? And do you think overall that the defense will be better, about the same as it was last season, or do you think there's a po- possibility of regression, especially with Don Brown moving on? That's a tough call. I mean, we just, I really want to see what Johnny Nansen is going to bring to the table. I think if I, I think the plan is to keep things looking pretty similar and still be just as aggressive, but maybe with some different wrinkles, but um, I think it's going to be better. Um, I think just with the players that they had and, and relied on last year, I think they're going to all improve, but, um, I don't think they lost a ton. You know, you still have most of your, your top playmakers on that side of the ball coming back. Jalen Harris coming back was really big. Um, you still have Christian Roland Wallace. You still have, you know, some of those guys in the secondary that made some plays, um, linebackers where it's going to be interesting. I think, um, you need, you need Jerry Roberts to step up. You need Malik Reed to kind of take his next step as a player. Um, you need to find some other linebackers there. I really like what Tyler Martin brings to the table, um, you know, as, as a big linebacker, as someone who can play the middle. Um, Isaiah Ward is another interesting, really intriguing prospect for Arizona. Utah really, really wanted him. Uh, Bobby Wagner is his uncle. He plays in the NFL. Um, just a really, really intriguing prospect. I, I never really got a chance to see him play, but he's in basketball season now. And Arizona sent a few coaches to go watch him play basketball. And, you know, I know some people who have seen him play basketball and, and they said, hey, is this guy going to Arizona? And I said, yeah. And they're like, he's like a freak of nature. And so that's, you know, that's the kind of the thing you hear with him is just, he has great length, uh, really athletic and just kind of is somebody that um, I think a lot of other schools missed on again, Utah really, really wanted him and Arizona, Arizona was able to go in late and, you know, make him, uh, you know, a commit to them. But um, there's some really interesting pieces on defense. I think you look at all the highly rated guys, Sterling Lane, Fusions Price Sock, I think you're going to, you know, make their, their presence felt. Jacob Manu is someone I have a lot of faith in. I think he's somebody, even though he doesn't have, you know, the size that everybody's looking for, he just makes plays. And, and so I think he's going to be somebody who you know, finds his way on the field, maybe not this season, but early in his career. And, you know, Matt, I, I have talked about it with Shane. Um, I, I hate to use this word on the show, bowl game. Is it too early or are we a year away or can we talk about it legitimately for 2022? 
I think the addition of Jaden Delora gets you in the conversation. I mm-hmm. think um, that we know how important that position is. I think there was still kind of some, is this the right guy? Is this not the right guy? I think Noah is going to need some time to adjust. Um, I do think he'll eventually be the starter at Arizona one day, but I think he, as I told you guys, I think last time where I said, I, if I'm him, I'm not in necessarily in a rush to get out there because the offensive line still has some things that needs to get figured out. Still some improvements it needs to make before I think it, he'll feel his most comfortable back there. But um, Jaden Delora to me changes the conversation. I still think uh, it's an uphill battle. I think it's, but it's in the conversation now because of the success he's had. Um, obviously, Washington state isn't the most you know, talented roster and he was still able to do some really good things there. Um, again, we talked about it you know, throughout this whole show is the weapons on offense for Arizona. I mean, he's going to have better weapons around him, you know, at Arizona now because of all the additions the staff has made. And even if you just look at, you know, the connection with him and Jacob Cowling, him and T-Mac, you have to figure that's going to lead to some really, you know, good success for Arizona, you know, in the passing game. And so, uh, if, again, if it comes back to him learning the offense, if he's able to really pick up the offense and, and get things going, we all saw what Khalil Tate you know, meant to this team and, and how much he impacted everyone around him on both sides of the ball. Just one player. I mean, if there's one position where you can have one player in football change a lot, it's the quarterback position. And I think you're bringing in, you know, the player that just won, you know, the Pac-12 freshman uh, offensive player of the year, led the league in touchdown passes. Uh, led the league, led the league during the regular season in, in passing yards. That just, that just sounds like success to me. And so, um, like I said, I think that it's getting closer. I don't know that it's going to get done this year. I still think next year is probably the year where you make that big jump. Uh, once you get another chance to, you know, settle in and have some of these players uh, get some success. But I think it's now in the conversation because of, you know, really just because of Jaden Delora, plus, you know, all the additions they've made uh, elsewhere in the off season. And last question for you, and as always, thank you for joining Shane and I here on the show. Uh, basketball team, we saw what happened against UCLA. Does that change your expectations for how far this team goes or just a, a, a blip on the radar? Uh, just a blip on the radar for me right now. Um, I was talking about it before the game, and I said there, it, just the way it felt, it felt like this was a built-in loss for Arizona. Um you got the game delayed, first of all. Then you had the whole situation of, are they trying to avoid playing Arizona? Um, you have to figure, all, any of that conversation is going to fire up UCLA. You get the fans, hey, it just happens to be the first game they let fans back in Pauling mm-hmm. Pavilion. Um, you have Arizona at the end of a, a pretty grueling road trip, you know, where they went to the Bay Area, which on its own is a very difficult trip, no matter how good uh, you know, Stanford and Cal are. It's, it's a difficult trip to go play on the road in the Bay Area. So you have you know, this massive game at the end of a three-game you know, road trip, um, Arizona was asked about, you know, Ben Mathurin was asked about UCLA and he, he addressed it. He didn't say, Oh, we're not talking about them, anything like that. Not again, it's not nothing against Arizona. I think they've been anticipating this matchup for a while, but I think there was that thought of like, Hey, this game is coming up. We have some, you know, we really want to get geared up for that. It just felt to me like there was too many elements in play. Again, UCLA has just had Arizona's number as well. And so it's been really a difficult game just on its own and, and they have the talent. So um, yes, I think there's some adjustments that need to be made. I don't think Arizona anticipated having that poor of a shooting performance. Um, it, I did not think they were going to put two halves together like that, where it was that poor, but that was the case. Um, UCLA is good in its own right as well. I mean, they're a talented team as well. They just you know came off that deep run into the NCAA tournament. I think the experience really showed up uh, in that game against UCLA and, and Arizona just doesn't have that yet, but I don't think it's a big issue. I think it, it was one of those things where, yes, what I think would have been great for Arizona if they're able to pull out that win. But to me, there was just too many things working against them that 
it just felt like it was a built-in loss. I thought it was gonna be a lot closer, um, but it just felt like that was kind of a loss waiting to happen just because of everything you know surrounding the game and the lead up to it. Well, Shane, class is dismissed. We we learned a lot from Matt. He always, always teaches do. us a, a, a bunch about the football and basketball team. Matt, we always appreciate it. And I'm sure that we'll have you on again soon. Thanks again. Absolutely. It's good to be here, guys. I want to read you a message from Josette, a small business owner in Scottsdale. Josette says, Backcourt Marketing created a social media strategy for all of my gyms. They post engaging content every day and have really brought up the analytics on all of my pages. We meet to go over marketing ideas every month, and I really appreciate their personalized approach. That, in a nutshell, is the kind of return on your investment that you can expect when you trust Backcourt Marketing to fulfill your company's social media needs. This is a company that helps businesses reach their target audience online and build a brand that will crush the competition. They're a dedicated, knowledgeable team of brand advocates, designers, and creative writers who will help take your business to the next level. Make sure to get your business noticed. Call 480-744-6173. That's 480-744-6173. Or email team, T-E-A-M, at backcourtmarketing.com to get started. And remember, Backcourt Marketing is the marketing agency for those who love competition. Want to thank our guests, AJ Bramlett and Matt Moreno. Just great info from them. Just fun fun stories from AJ and, and look forward to having him on uh, to talk more about Coach Olson's stories uh, the next time we have him on. Shane, I just before we uh, before we move on, I just want to give a plug to our great sponsor, Backcourt Marketing. Always uh, glad to have them as a uh, as the sponsor of this program. They are uh, they're awesome. They do a great job social media wise. Check them out. Uh, at backcourtmarketing.com, on Twitter at backcourtmktg. Uh, we retweet uh, some of their tweets on the Wildcat Country account. They do a great job. And if you or anyone else knows of a business that needs some social media help, and trust me, there are plenty out there, please refer them to Backcourt Marketing and you can get yourself a referral fee. Let me just mention real quick also, Eric, they've been uh, putting together some Instagram stories for us. Yeah. They're doing a great job there. Just an example. If you want to look at uh, look us up on Wildcat Country on Instagram, a great example of what they could help do for your, for your business as well if you want to grow on Instagram. Awesome. And there you have it. So great interviews, great show today, Shane. But one thing we haven't mentioned yet, the women's basketball team, since we were last on the show, is 3-0, and including mm-hmm. a win tonight when we're recording this against uh, UCLA. But the key is these last two wins – Against pretty good teams, Shayna Pellington. Yeah, where did this? Where did these performances coming from? Twenty yeah. plus in both games. Her experience in the Olympics seems to be paying off. It's huge to have another big score um, to complement uh, Kate Reese. You know, it's it's great that this team has as much depth as it has, and it does it by committee. But I think you really need to have another star. And Shayna Pellington sort of emerging for this team at the right time. In fact, twenty eight points. Uh, against uh, uh, a then-ranked Colorado team and twenty-eight and twenty points against UCLA in the same gym where the men's team lost uh, the previous night, so it was sort of, it was good to see that. So it, it looks like they're, they're clicking again. They're five and two in the in a very tough Pac-12. Uh, they, their game against Cal was postponed uh, due to COVID uh, in, in issues in Cal's program. Who knows if they're going to have time to make that up? So their next game is this weekend a rematch of the championship national championship game against Stanford uh, undefeated uh, Stanford team. that's undefeated in the PAC 12. So another great test. It's a shame that they're only, they only play Stanford at Stanford this season. They don't get a chance to play them in Tucson because if, if there was a chance for Arizona to, to sell out a game, that might be the game to uh, 
where it would happen. But, uh, but no, it, it'll be another good test for them. They, they're still in the top 10. They're still hanging around. I, I keep expecting them to, to fade a little bit. And they, you know, they had a tough loss to, uh, at Oregon, but they, they put it back together. They keep winning with defense and they're three and O's, like you said, since the last time we talked. Yeah. And, and last week you and I had talked about, well, is this team, you know, does they have the look of a team that maybe isn't going to go that far in March. If Shana Pellington is that go-to scorer, that maybe Arizona missed. And, you know, Sam, Sam Thomas had a great game uh, in the first game. I think it was against Utah. I think she had 27 or something like that. Mm. So, I mean, when you get a go-to score, which is what this team has kind of lacked a little bit of Kate Reese has had her share of games, but still it's encouraging to see, and maybe they'll go further in the tournament. Maybe they'll live up to the expectations of their seed when it comes to the tournament. Yeah. You need someone to take over a game late. And obviously with Aaron McDonald gone, they needed that person. And and Kate Reese is great, but I don't know if she's the kind of person who's going to like take that last shot. And Shayna Pellington throughout the season has done that. She's made a couple of uh, late shots to, to lift Arizona. So uh, it seems like she's the person who wants the ball in her hands, wants that pressure with Aragon that that's huge. So there's no replacing Ari. Are they going to make another run of the final four? Um, I, I'm still skeptical. I, I would love to, them to keep proving me wrong. They keep doing it. But uh, Shayna's emergence is is massive. And, and Sam Thomas as well. She hit a clutch three against UCLA to put that game away. Uh, she's shooting lights out. This is by far her best shooting season, even though her minutes have been reduced a bit. So having her uh, as a three-point threat is massive as along with uh, uh, her defensive capability. So uh, we still got two Pac-12 teams in the top or basketball teams in the top 10. As long as Arizona beats ASU and they better beat ASU, we'll have two teams in the Pac-10 or two basketball teams in the top 10 again next week when we talk. Well, we hope if, if Stanford, as long as Stanford doesn't blow out Arizona, you would hope that they wouldn't. I think they'll be in the top 10, even if they lose to Stanford. So should be uh, another exciting weekend of basketball. Arizona's, Probably not going to lose ASU. If they do, we have big problems and we're going to be freaking out on, mm-hmm. on next week's show. Mm-hmm. I want to thank once again, AJ Bramlett, Matt Moreno. Uh, great show and uh, an exciting weekend of basketball coming up. So I uh, also want to thank our, our uh, friends at All AZ Sports for producing the podcast. Of course, Backcourt Marketing. Uh, for Shane Dale, I'm Eric Cohen. Thanks as always for listening. And as always, bear down. Bear down.